Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. If you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps keep the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, anywhere where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle. And myself, feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod on Twitter. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by the man who negotiated Scotty Pippen's contract, Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Hey, don't put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. You know, real cliffhanger whether Scotty Pippen comes back. We'll, we'll have to uh, tune in next week. And see, Gerald, it's almost like we got sports again. We have Michael Jordan and and Dennis Rodman and Steve Kerr, Scottie Pippen, etc., etc. This is, uh, we might be talking about a little basketball this week, don't you think? There's a lot happening. First of all, Tony Kukoc is woefully underrepresented yes. in this documentary. Yes. And it makes me mad. Like, Steve Kerr, as much as he's a star now, like... He was not the third guy on that team by any stretch of the imagination. No, but they got to get they've got to get these O Niners uh, caught up and, and bought in because they don't know anything past two thousand nine. I don't know that's, that's the year I picked. Oh no, 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 I thought you were making an Alamo Heights uh, joke. That is the Alamo Heights zip code. Any good San Antonio know for all our listeners in Alamo Heights, we call them O Niners. Um, sometimes um, derogatorily I, I would assume not me personally of course um but uh you know rivals in high school never dies uh, but no yeah it's uh tony kukoc man like as a man you know what i feel in basketball i love a a uh, non-american uh sixth man uh who changes the the entire you know complexion of a game when he enters originally it was tony kukoc Obviously, then Manu Ginobili. So, uh, yeah, just just utterly, utterly um, underrated and, and a wonderful, wonderful player from the Yugoslav, uh, Tony Kukoc, legend. He feels like the first of like he feels like the early like rumblings of the like European invasion that happened in the early two thousands in the NBA. So I just it's it's a it's not upsetting is not the right word, but um, it's just funny to me that Tony Kukoc is getting uh, a little revisionist out of the uh, the Michael Jordan documentary that everybody watched together and live tweeted together, um, except for me because I was. Uh, I was making cold brew and my wife was watching some some show with accents and I was like, I'll watch it later. It's fine. So I watched it immediately after. We will talk about it uh, maybe in our, I haven't watched it in a long time, but maybe this just inspired me. But uh, I'll give a quick out of context, out of sequence plug for the ESPN 30 for 30 Once Brothers, which really focuses on the uh, the Vladi Divac, Drazen Petrovic um, part of the uh, Yugo, uh, kind of Slavia, Serbian, Croatian split. Um, Tony Kukoc certainly featured uh, in there as well. So great, uh, one, of, one of my favorites, actually, of the 30 for 30s. That, that could be an, another uh, podcast for another day, though. But, uh, but yeah, check out, check out Tony Kukoc. None but time to fill, Kyle. We've got probably <laughs> another couple of months, several-ish months of this, whatever. So uh, we're going to resume our uh, 
trudge, our, our walk through the Mount Rushmore as we put it out there on Twitter for you guys to help us decide who would be the fourth face on our Mount Rushmore for basketball. Travis Mays got the win narrowly over LaSalle Thompson was a uh, close second. He actually led for quite some time and then there was this big uh, jump in voting on Saturday and Sunday and so Travis Mays took the title maze hive obviously coming in uh coming in clutch coming in late uh to secure the win um i mean it it, like if you if you didn't check out our 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 twitter um we went through on the show last week but go check out i mean the the accolades speak for themselves for any of those four guys um we did get a couple uh questions in the mentions um wondering where someone like a lamarcus aldridge with was and and though he's uh undoubtedly going to have one of the best nba careers of any longhorn he really had a a stellar sophomore season and then went to the NBA, if he would have come back for a junior year, obviously he would have um, been competing for National Player of the Year awards. But uh, you know, he really did a lot of his ascendancy post UT. Um, and then Rick Barnes, another name that we talked about but didn't put in the poll, probably could have given. Uh, anytime you open up for voting, because those are recency bias names that people recognize, no um, high profile visibility. Uh, I think they may have bumped. Um, but I don't necessarily think they, they deservedly, but may have bumped a vote. So I really like that we got, you know, a guy who, who last played, uh, in 1990 on here. So shout out to the old heads, I guess, being on Twitter or people doing research or just, uh, anyone who took a factual look at the stats that we provided and voted on that. We tagged him, which I think probably helped. Uh, our boy T wrench is the one that actually liked and responded to it though. So that was uh great. Thanks. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, but we're moving on, Kyle. The The basketball faces are etched in the side of a mountain, at least on the men's side. So let's move on to the women's side, Kyle. And let's look at the women's basketball, Mount Rushmore. And I feel like we're going to have a similar problem to what we had uh, last week. But we're going to go ahead and uh, jump in. So we're there's there's like three easy ones, right? There are three that, that seem to be a... Uh, Pretty big slam dunk, and I'll just go ahead and start us off. Jody Conrad is the easiest one. Uh, it's it, we we didn't put a coach on the uh, on the bat on the men's basketball one, but like when you think Texas women's basketball, you have to start with Jody Conrad. Yeah, I mean the the second coach of all time to um, ever reach 900 wins. She had the um, just incredible, incredible. Um, run that she did. I mean, just the 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 only to date. Uh, you know, national championship in 1986, but ended the 84 and 85 seasons with the, the number one, um, ranking in the country, uh, it didn't win the national championship, but just shows a three-year run where literally they were number one in the country. They were the best team multiple years making final fours, elite eights, just a really incredibly dominant, uh, run. And then, I mean, that, that, that 1986 season, you have to put it up there before Connecticut had ever done anything that they went on to do under Gino. She had the first ever perfect season. She threw a perfect, you know, no hitter, no walk shutout to mix my metaphors here. Perfect game, you know, 34, uh, and O, um, the, the first in the history, uh, of the NCAA era of women's college basketball. So, I mean, right there, any school you could put her in a Mount Rushmore of collegiate coaches, I think, um, without a whole lot of pushback. Um, and, and certainly at the University of Texas, she has the outsized impact that a, like a Daryl K. Royal um, would have had, or, or you know, uh, just 
a coach who defines a program um, like you've seen with the, you know swimming and diving as well. But uh, no need to go too, too much. But if you're a younger fan and you didn't really get to enjoy the Judy, the Jody Conrad era um, and, and see any of that, it's worth going to find. If they ever have a, they have a couple Longhorn uh, network specials on her. She's just an incredible, um, an incredible mind and incredible, um, talent and, and person. And so anything you can find on her, find an article, find a video, uh, read up, study up eight time conference coach of the year, six time national coach of the year, uh, a couple of back to back, one back to back in there for the national coach of the year. And then a couple of back to backs. Like she actually had, I think a three or four Pete, uh, for the conference coach of the year in the mid to late eighties. And the rare, two-sport coach. She actually coached volleyball for two seasons yep. at the University of Texas. So, like, she was women's athletics at the University of Texas right after kind of Title IX became a thing and they needed to uh, establish women's sports teams. She was women's athletics at the University of Texas for a very long time. So, I think the, the other two locks, right, Kyle, and we can uh, we can talk about these because I think we're going to have some debate on the other ones, are the, uh, the two players who have their jerseys retired uh, for the uh, women's side of the basketball also, Cami uh, Etheridge uh, was the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame member in 2002, won a gold medal in 1988 in the Olympics. She was the 86 National Player of the Year, the Wade Trophy, and the Honda Sports Award, two-time first-team All-American, three-time All-Southwest Conference. The other one, Clarissa Davis, uh, joined the Basketball Hall of Fame four years later won an Olympic gold, a bronze medal four years later. Uh, 1989 Player of the Year for the Naismith, the Wade, the USBWA and the WBCA in 89, the uh, Naismith Player of the Year in 87, two-time first-team All-American, uh, 1989 South, Southwest Conference Player of the Year. Like, I'm running out of breath listing off the accolades <laughs> for these two. When you look at players, like, like Jody Conrad is the coach, right? When you look at players, like, there are no two players that stand out more, at least in our estimation, than Etheridge and Davis. And Etheridge herself, who, who now uh, coaches the, uh, I believe, Washington State. Um, the, the pride of Hereford, Texas. Um, each of these three that we just listed are in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Conrad, uh, Cammie Etheridge, and Clarissa Davis. I, like I said, Hereford, Texas. I'm a little more impartial to the pride of San Antonio, Texas. Clarissa Davis uh, from John Jay High School. Much like Gerald and myself, did high school in San Antonio. Uh, drove just up I-35 um, as we were hotly recruited. All three of us, of course, committing to the University of Texas. Um, Gerald and I for academic reasons. Um, but, uh, you know, really it's like three peas in a pod. But no, I mean, you could make arguments where Clar Clarissa Davis like ranks in the all-time, you know, again, like, like Coach Conrad in, in the all-time, um, you know, like rankings in Mount Rushmore of, of women's college basketball. I mean, I think Cheryl Miller certainly gets the first spot probably up there and Lisa Leslie's close, but uh, you know, she would at least have to get uh, a conversation, right? Being the, the national player of the year, two out of her four years, um, never not reaching, um, you know, uh, at least I think the elite, eight all of her years um so i mean just incredible they the my favorite part that we just named three people who kind of um controlled that era of college basketball um the the gerald do you know what sports illustrated nicknamed that era of texas women's team i i i don't want it to be offensive but i feel like it's going to be offensive in hindsight it's it's brilliantly witty but i guess you might get there the best little scorehouse in texas <laughs> oh wow 
Oh man, <laughs> that that is that is tough. Different times. Um, but <laughs> you know, uh, I I think you know the 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 thing to know is that um my favorite part about Clarissa and I could talk about each of these um independently. Like she also had her her jersey retired, but she was named um the Southwest Conference athlete of the decade not not female athlete athlete of the decade for the 1980s so i mean that's uh that's pretty incredible um just just three people who probably could get on any schools you know rushmore right there um again we can run through accolades uh for 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 each of them but you basically have um two players and one coach who are absolute locks absolutely and there's there's no real argument on any of those and if you would argue with those i would say you probably uh shouldn't so this is where the the arguments can come in and i think for me there's one that stands out kind of above the rest but there are a lot that make a really strong case so i think the the next person that we have to talk about uh as as filling that possible fourth spot uh is edwina brown who um was was for the the early 2000s crowd i guess the late 90s crowd probably more more apt when you talk about women's basketball like she was I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago when a player ushers in kind of the next era of of athletics at a university uh Edwina Brown was the one like she 2000 the the Wade Trophy National Player of the Year in the year 2000 first team All-American uh second team All-American her junior year in 99 uh 99 2000s so junior and senior year was first team all-conference uh and then she was the 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 first collegiate player drafted in the WNBA draft like that's kind of a big deal yeah I mean there's 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 no uh better way to put that she was third overall but the the you know that was when the league was starting they were still drafting professionals who were playing uh in Europe or otherwise so I mean just was the best player was um was a, a really incredible um Longhorn like you said entering into the next decade I I, I also um, just love the name Edwina. You don't hear it every day. Uh, you know, name name rings out in these streets uh, like a Marlo Stanfield. So uh, Edwina Brown, I think, is is absolutely the first contender for the first uh, the fourth spot. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip a little bit uh, in eras down to uh, down to Tiffany Jackson because she's a little closer to our time, Gerald. You're looking at the 2005. Uh, first team All-American forward uh, for the the Longhorns, uh, three-time first team All-Big 12. In 2004, she was the uh, freshman of the year and went on to uh, the WNBA being the fifth overall pick, another first rounder, uh, in 2007. So Tiffany Jackson, um, just a a force uh, in our time um, on the, the college campus. And this is where I will reveal... Gerald, that while uh, at the University of Texas, I was an RA, um, and and my residents uh, were, amongst others, were the women's basketball team. So I knew the teams right after Tiffany Jackson. Um, I, uh, I I knew the the next class here: Brittany Raven and uh, Ernisha Williams, etc. Uh, the, the Nash sisters and, and so on. So uh, I actually missed her by by a year, uh, unfortunately, or she could have uh, been my my resident. And we could have been best friends, um, could have been her agent, you know that whole thing. But uh, but no, I, you know I, I do have obviously a personal vested interest covered the women's basketball team uh, as well. So uh, just wanted to throw that out there that that there are some um, from our modernity, and then I think we'll probably have a couple even after for uh for us old old geezers that we are uh who came after miss jackson 
Well, I think it's a perfect perfect segue to say that you and I both covered women's basketball for a big chunk of our uh, of our amateur journalistic career. <laughs> we were at the University of Texas uh, covering it for various things. Like I, I Tiffany Jackson was was one of the best interviews I ever had when I was on. She was just in, and granted, I also like served her ice cream a couple of times when I worked at that Cold Stone, <laughs> at the corner of Guadalupe. Yeah. Um, her and her te- her teammates gave her grief because she got too much ice cream both times, <laughs> and uh, she was probably not. They they were they were like, hey, you're gonna play in the league next year, so you probably shouldn't get that much ice cream. That's myself. amazing. But it is what it is. <laughs> it's a. I, I I have to tell this story. I was walking like back around the drum. Would if you the way the media section works is you walk right past the. Um, the locker rooms where the dressing rooms as the players come out and all I hear is Tiffany Jackson's green. Hey, it's Mr. Coldstone. And I guess I'm, I'm here in a journalistic capacity <laughs> and she knows me as the guy who wears khaki shorts and a black ice cream covered uh, shirt. So anywho, just that's a tangent. Uh, Tiffany Jackson for Beautiful. me, like I, that was where I really fell in love with women's basketball though. That's really where I was like, Oh, this is sport that can be really fun and mm-hmm. engaging. I think for a lot of people, um, the late Jody Conrad teams with, with players like Tiffany Jackson, Jackson uh, has a lot. Another player that we want to talk about um, that's a lot more recent is, is Imani McGee, uh, Stafford slash Imani Boyette, depending on uh, which article you're looking at. But uh, she was the conference defensive player of the year in 2016. Uh, she was a first team uh, all conference center two years in a row, 15 and 16. Was the freshman of the year, uh, 10th overall pick in 2016. So she's she as as one of the modern players, as one of the players from the last five years or so, has probably the the best resume uh, that we could discuss. Yeah, and I mean, it, not to mention she spent, uh, I love the story, like Cheryl Miller beating Reggie on the court, spent her childhood uh, presumably schooling uh, her brother JaVale uh, McGee. Um, I, I hope that's true, but no, just like a um, a player who, again, under the the probably the best player, the Karen Aston uh, era um, at UT, and I think um, just a a you know, again, one of those players that had a good run in tournaments and things, but you would have hoped she she's the type of player that you would have deserved um, to get to like a, you know, a, a championship game and show off her talents against a, a Baylor or UConn, uh, depending on the years there. But anyways, just a, a really elite uh, caliber player. I think she deserves to be on this list. Absolutely. I mean, it, she's probably not going to end up in stone, but I think she's one that we have to at least bring into the conversation. Uh, I think the last one for me that I'll probably introduce into the conversation uh, is Andrea Lloyd, just because she has uh, just as many All-Americans and Conference Player of the Years uh, as other people that are locks on our list. So three-time All-American uh, from eight, her sophomore, junior, and senior year. She was the Conference Player of the Year her senior year. Uh, she was a conference player she was a conference uh, first teamer all conference player uh, all four years uh, on the 40 acres so that's that's an impressive resume no national player of the year though I think that's why uh, she probably gets moved to that second tier uh yeah yeah that's you know that's perfectly fair I think um you know we're fighting everything for one spot here I think you could I think you could certainly uh, make a case when you have the the you know three time All American right like that's a that's a that's a pretty strong 
case right there to be made and you can you can make the argument i will add a couple other names that i think deserve to be um mentioned in this conversation i don't necessarily think they're going to knock anyone off but i do want to mention ariel atkins who um you know we we talked a lot about during the WNBA season um she was uh you know just just phenomenal um made the rookie team made the WNBA all defensive team as uh, as a a rookie just has been um immediately in the wa been been picked up where she was in college where she was a two-time uh, all big 12 point guard and was the 10th overall pick in 2018 so just has been a a fantastic player at the next level and then and then edna campbell um is is a player who uh, you know i don't know that necessarily gets the um gets the uh praise that she necessarily deserves for her actual accolade she's a two-time first team all southwest conference uh guard in 90 and 91 um she went to play kind of uh abroad as well and then uh, towards the uh end of her career 10 years later um she was drafted in the WNBA. again you could draft professionals from europe um in 1999 um and the interesting thing about her um is she uh is probably most well known she was diagnosed with breast cancer while playing she retreat received treatment and then came back uh in the middle of the 2002 season um went on to play you know in in 02 03 uh 04 and 04 I think she took a year off, came back in 05 and retired officially um, in 2006. I mean, just is one of those sports stories that is one of the true feel good outside the line. Bob Lay narrating it, you know, get a little teared up. We talk a lot, obviously, about on the men's side. Um, recently, what we all know the story there is going on, but it actually has happened before with a Texas Longhorn, but at the professional level. Um, I think she just. I couldn't make this list without at least giving her a shout out um, as an incredible warrior and champion. I don't necessarily think I would put her on my Mount Rushmore for her collegiate achievements, but I wanted to make sure she was at least included in the conversation. And again, if people didn't know her story, give them a chance to look it up. Absolutely. And that's, that's you and I both love a good tearjerker sports story. And that's, that's one for the ages. It's awesome. Uh, when people can beat cancer because cancer is the worst and cancer sucks. Uh, so let's let's go ahead and try to put let's go ahead and try to put a point on it, Kyle. I think let's this is it. one where where we can probably put a point to it and kind of come up with a fourth. And and I think my my vote is for Edwina Brown. Like that's that's my vote as well. Or that's my vote because I think the the National Player of the Year yeah. award that she won puts her over the top for me. Uh, I know the I, Andrea Lloyd is probably my my one A, and mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't get in a knife fight with you, but it's hard for me to not put a player uh, on the Mount Rushmore that has a national player of the year award. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I went back and forth thinking about this one exactly for that reason, right? It, it, it kind of goes back when we talked about some of our, you know, our Mount Rushmore on the men's basketball side, basketball is an interesting thing. Cause it's like, do you reward someone who played four years and set school records and did things, you know, every year at this level, right? I mean, Andre- Andrea Lord was a, a, three-time All-American first team. Like, that's a big deal. That's unbelievable talent, right? So I think, do you reward... She was one of the best players in the country almost every year that she was on campus recognized first-team All-American versus uh, Edwina Brown, who in 99 was a second-team All-American, but in 2000 really made the step up and had, you know, a season for the ages where she was named the best player in 
college basketball. And I think because of that, like you said, and I think just the fact that, again, being effectively the, the first pick, the first collegiate pick, I'm calling her the number one in the college draft in, in 2000 is another really interesting, you know, just accolade, right? She is our, she is our highest um, ever drafted player in the WNBA. I think that counts for something. So I, I agree with you that I think Andrea Lloyd is, is the honorable list of mentions. I don't know if we'll have a list that has someone this close like this, like, you know, uh, you maybe just put a plaque on the edge of the, the foreheads on the mountain to make sure that people see it. But I, I agree. I think we're in consensus here that, that uh, Edwina gets the gets the fourth and final spot. So there it is. Jody Conrad, Kami Etheridge, Clarissa Davis, and Edwina Brown are your foreheads on the Texas women's basketball Mount Rushmore. Getting us one step closer to our illustrious – Texas Athletics Mount Rushmore. The Rushmore of Rushmore. Gerald, I like when you say four heads, meaning four different people, but it also makes me picture their very large uh, foreheads carved into stone. Not that any of them have particularly large foreheads necessarily, but just the way that was said tickled my fancy. No, that's four very deserving people, and really, honestly, I think we said eight uh, nominees total were all incredibly deserving um, and all Longhorn legends in their own right. Absolutely. So we'll be back next week to talk. I think we're going to go softball next week, Kyle. I think we'll do softball to kind of uh, change it up a little bit, change our rhythm. We'll do softball next week, uh, and we'll be back to to give you our four who we think are emblematic of the program. Ooh, I like that a lot. I am uh, I'm looking forward to it. But, folks, we are going to tweet this out, put it on the, the Twitters. Make sure to remember to hit us with the replies of Texas and tell us how wrong we got it for not including, insert your favorite person. Feel free to tag them. It's always great when these people interact with these polls on Twitter like we had with uh, with T-Wrench last week. Um, you know, uh, tag your tag your, uh, your que lastima. Whoever the shame is for not being on our four or someone you think uh, was better, you can use the uh, hashtag replies of Texas. Or like I said, go ahead and tag that person uh, in, in your reply to us on Twitter. Now's the part of the show where we usually give some shine to the programs that don't always get as much as they should. And we down the 40, but literally our entire down the 40 today is women's basketball. We'll just keep the train moving. So um, let's keep it in the college ranks first, Kyle. So uh, there was a lot of movement this week with Vic Schaefer's new staff and new Team, so uh, got three coach announcements uh, coming in. So he's bringing basically his people from Mississippi State. So uh, associate head coaches Johnny Harris uh, and Deanna Jackson Durrett will keep their titles of associate head coach, while assistant coach and recruiting coordinator Elena Lovato will be joining them as well. Kind of that four-headed uh, group there, and maybe Lovato's already doing some work because Texas received four. One, or I guess three transfers, and I guess Lovato's already doing some work because Texas received three big time transfers this week. Lauren Ebo from Penn State, uh, Deanna Gaston from Mississippi State, and then former captain from Duke. Uh, Kira Lambert all announced their intentions to transfer and play one final season of eligibility at the University of Texas. Big week for the Horns. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if uh, if Coach Lovato is any relation to Demi, um, but she clearly is bringing the star power. Um, I wish I knew some of Demi Lovato's songs. I would insert 
puns here. But either way, I think we're going to like her. I think we're going to like this coaching staff. And honestly, Gerald, we may just have to redraft our Mount Rushmore uh, next year once Vic Schaefer wins a national championship his first year uh, at the Reigns and, uh, and go ahead and throw him up on the Mount Rushmore. No, people are excited. Uh, it, it, we're going to talk about it next week in our softball, but, you know, Coach... Uh, Coach Mike White came in and and shook some things up. Del Conte hired one of the best in the country, expected uh, progress to be immediate, and it was. I mean, they were really the number one team in the country minus COVID this year. Um, and, and, you know, there is excitement on the women's basketball side that all of these elite players coming in, again, from elite schools, players that, you know, really incredibly high-ranked recruits um, even are, are now, you know, coming back to Texas, which should be a women's basketball blue blood, as we just talked about, um, you know, a pioneer of what UConn was able to do a few decades later, um, but in just, you know, undefeated and beaten anyone put out on the floor and the, the work that Coach Conrad did, like, this is where Texas women's basketball should be. They should be the one of the destinations. You know, if I'm a top recruit, I get to look at, you know, Oregon, Baylor, UConn, UT, sure, right? Like, let's uh, let's be in that, that conversation for every big recruit, for every Final Four, um, and let's help uh, Coach Schaefer get over the hump and get him that national championship. And I think, man, that's an exciting start. I think I think that is going to happen uh, sooner rather than later, and I think Schaefer may – we may have to just add a fifth head to the Mount Rushmore and be like, all right, Vic, we're stapling you on there. Uh, looking back in five years and you know, we could totally uh, have a cold take on this one. So uh, Longhorns that are departing in positive uh, ways. Joyner Holmes uh, slipped out of the first round. They thought she would be a first round pick was taken in the second round. Tw- uh, n- number 19 pick overall by the Seattle storm, uh, maybe taking the Kevin Durant path of going to Seattle, then Oklahoma city, and then winning several championships. Suge Sutton, a, uh, a fan, a favorite of ours, uh, was the final pick actually in the draft. And she got drafted by the defending champion, Washington mystics, uh, joining former teammate, Ariel Atkins on the mystics, hopefully, uh, going for a second consecutive WNBA title, whenever they can play basketball again. Uh, yeah, I love it. I mean, that's we, we talked about uh, her and our Mount Rushmore, you know, candidates. Let's get a lot of Longhorns on teams that win championships. That's uh, that's a good way to play basketball in in, in my mind. So very very proud of uh, both those young women, and uh, you know that that's a big deal. That was the the first time since two thousand five that two Texas players were selected in the same draft class. We were in double digits for overall program draftees, and that number should continue to uh, continue to rise so um, good things right an easy sell for these transfers recruits and everything going on with coach Schaefer's look UT stays putting you know players in in the WNBA so come here and oh also by the way here's my own track record so it's not the hardest sell in the world it is not at all and I think it will continue to be an easier sell as uh, these players get drafted earlier and Earlier and a quick down the forty uh, for us as well. Uh, name you might remember Jordan Hicks um, in 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 the era of uh, celebrities asking for other people to give money uh, for charity. Jordan Hicks is kind of putting his money where his mouth is. He and his wife uh, have vowed or have pledged a uh, hundred thousand uh, dollars matching to their uh, their local church in Arizona where they where he's playing for the the Cardinals. The uh, 
he will match $100,000 of donations for uh, coronavirus COVID-19 uh, relief efforts through his church, which is massive. And there's a lot of uh, Longhorns making waves in uh, the in the relief efforts uh, as we all uh, kind of deal with the fallout of this virus. Absolutely. And, you know, not to single in on, on any one, but QB1, uh, Sam Ellinger just passed the, the 100,000 mark, which is incredible. Um, he did set the uh, the ambitious and audacious goal of $1 million, which appreciate. Um, there was a uh, wise man once told me, shoot for the moon if you miss you land amongst the stars. But uh, 100000 nothing to shake a stick at for, uh, for Sam Ellinger. 765 people have donated to his GoFundMe. Feel free to, uh, to Google that. Find the link in NB766 uh, if you haven't already or uh, or join any of these other amazing efforts but it's just awesome right yeah, i think we said it before what starts here changes the world so uh this is great i love to see players uh giving back at at, at all levels um the the longhorns truly care this is why celebrities should exist right to uh to allow for these things to happen so i absolutely absolutely love it so that brings us to the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? Gerald, this week I am banging the drum on uh, something we don't get to talk about all the time here, and we, we often talk about the opposite, but the NCAA doing things right, uh, getting some things uh, correct in their decision-making. They announced um, a couple days ago that... Uh, starting on the 20th night, we're recording this April 20th um, through May 34, uh, 31st, excuse me, um, that uh, basically all D1 sports are allowed to um, hold team meetings, other non-physical activities, um, virtual meetings, basically getting eight additional hours per week for all sports to um, to come in and uh, connect. I mean, you, you have programs where you have new players coming in who are having trouble, you know, getting that initial time, expecting spring as a time to get plugged in. Um, you know, just the amount, it doesn't sound like a lot, but the amount that this can affect is huge. Imagine, again, think football, right? We have two new coordinators, tons of new position coaches, players switching sides of the ball. Um, you know, it's it's there's a ton of change. The more time you can get with these the better. This is as we adjust to our new normal um, and new reality. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has switched up their daily routine, their life. And so it makes sense that the NCAA is, is being flexible, adjusting their rules to to adjust to, um, to the new normal. So, I mean, I, I think for all Texas sports, this is going to be a big win. But again, when you look at the University of Texas football team with seven out of ten on staff named coaches being new in their positions it is wildly uh important right i I don't know if there's another high profile school that has as much expectation for the next upcoming season with as much turnover just talking the coaching ranks here um with as much turnover as the university of texas so i mean this 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 is directly beneficial um to the texas football team but again i think the ripple effects will be across all of the longhorn programs Absolutely. And I, and I think that's that's kind of why we, we called it out, because the NCAA, we, we rail against them so often on the show because 
they make the wrong decision uh, seven and a half times out of 10, but when they get it right, we want to talk about it. And so um, this is massively beneficial for Texas uh, specifically because they're completely changing their defensive alignment, right? Like the defense that they're implementing is huge. And so I think the, uh, the other thing we want to look at is, is the, the re- I guess they're giving, requiring rest with this, like a day off um, between days of meetings or um, it, it's just, Again, there, there's a lot of legislation in it, and I'm sure somebody will have to self-report by the end of this, uh, by the end of this self-isolation. But I think the NCAA is inching toward realizing that they need to make more player-friendly decisions. Uh, yeah, I think I think I think you're spot on, and, and I, like I said, I think it's um, probably not uh, lost on the coaches that this starts on 4:20, so they can keep an eye on all of their kids. No. Uh... <laughs> I, it's nothing but nothing but good for the the big brother state of of uh, college coaches. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, I'm banging the drum this week on uh, Big Twelve referee Mike DeFee, uh, Mike DeBeef maybe uh, has uh, accepted a position that will remove him from Big Twelve officiating, and he will be moving on up to for some unbe- reason unbeknownst to me train folks in the NFL ranks and the idea of a big 12 official being used to train officials at the NFL level is laughable. Any of them really, because none of them know what pass interference is on the offense or defensive side of the ball. But Mike Defee himself um, is in my mind, probably one of the chief offenders of bad big 12 officiating specifically because it feels like in a lot of instances, he wants to be the star. Uh, you, I think back the, the, again, the, the flag waving this year's Texas OU game where no punches were thrown, but he called unsportsmanlike conduct get, uh, penalties on both teams, like an hour before the game kicked off, no punches were thrown a couple shoves, but it's like, it's the biggest, most heated rivalry of the year because players were jawing and shoving, he decides to basically rule it so any unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in that game would cause a player to be ejected. Now, thankfully, that didn't impact either team. Both teams like punted the ball to each other to kind of allow the... It's just a weird situation where... um, I don't know what his credentials are to earn that spot. Uh, Hopefully, he does a great job at it. I'm not wishing ill on the guy. It's just I'm glad to see him go. (laughs) <laughs> that's perfectly fair um i'm glad that we had beef ref for as long as we did i mean he had a lot of tough calls tough games he was pretty much universally hated the the, the nice thing i'll say to his credit by all teams in the big 12 he just you know instead of being the uh the donig you know tim donaghy potentially throwing games ref no no he was just equally incompetent across the, the the entire board so that's something he came after five years from the southland conference did 14 i think um in the in the big 12 um but longer than that gerald did you know he's been um out of beaumont texas uh i think Nederland specifically where he calls uh calls home he's been uh with neutron electric president of neutron electric company i think it's neutron holdings llc um since uh 2008 uh, i believe so it's just a reminder um that until they get to the nfl and even in the nfl they often have uh other jobs but especially for college referees um they have 
a uh, a day job. So even um, in addition to his uh, showing up at kids' birthday parties to cosplay Popeye the Sailor Man, he had a standard, steady day job. Um, so thanks for bringing the beef, Defi. Um, good riddance. May you fill Ed Hockley's extra mediums in the in the NFL. Um, you know, I, all all I can say is. Uh, you were you made things interesting, and that's probably not what you want to be described uh, as a referee. Uh, you were noticed, and that's probably not the uh, the best characteristic of a ref. But uh, good on you, good luck. Yeah, good refs are not no like when officiating's good, you don't notice the officiating, and uh, maybe that was lost. I'm I'm not necessarily sure, but that's all we've got for you this week, Kyle. Where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook em. Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Happy 420.